leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Digital health technologies are providing new ways of monitoring patients and delivering care. In the realm of clinical trials, they provide a way to remove geographic barriers to patient participation, improve compliance, and reduce cost, while also creating a way to capture real-world data. We spoke to Brian Silverman, CEO of Obvio Health, about the company's Claim It platform the workings of sightless clinical trials, and the potential for digital technologies to address a variety of challenges trial sponsors face. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about Avio Health, your clinical study platform, Climate, and the potential for digital health technologies to transform the way clinical trials are conducted. Let's start with the company itself, though. You call Obvio Health a, a digital health company. It's also a full-service contract research organization. For people not familiar with Obvio Health, can you provide a, a brief overview of the company? Certainly, um, although I think you just described it perfectly. So Obvio Health is a, is a startup, although we're actually entering out of the startup stage uh, if, if one looks at it from that perspective, um, since we have quite a few clients um, and we're well on our way uh, towards positioning ourselves as a, a major provider in this space, um, Obvio Health affords clinical studies to take place over your mobile device. Um, in essence, allowing and affording what people now call a sightless trial or decentralized trial. So you can essentially eliminate the traditional brick-and-mortar CRO facility that's required in many cases, if desired. <clears throat> Excuse me. That being said, we do not position ourselves um, in that type of element of, of being 100% sightless. Uh, many organizations <clears throat> still want to hold on to their brick-and-mortar relationships and it would be foolish of us to position ourselves by doing away with those relationships. So we become essentially synergistic too. We enable everything that a traditional brick-and-mortar CRO does, except the mobile affords you to go beyond the restrictions and constraints of the brick-and-mortar. So, for example, um, when recruiting, uh, you can only typically recruit within a certain distance from the site, the brick-and-mortar facility, that people are willing to drive to. 
with mobile, you have no geo restrictions. So you can go into as remote a region as you want. You can expand even further in terms of your recruitment. And essentially, you democratize clinical studies. You are not leaving out individuals who would normally never be able to participate. Another element here would be with the recording of adverse events. One of the biggest things that drew me to this type of platform and its engagement is the ability to report adverse events as they happen, when they happen. So typically, an individual would have to wait till they go back to their visit again uh, to the brick and mortar study site, which could be a week to, in some cases, a month out, depending on the study. In this case, it's reported when it happens. That's not precious data that's lost. Normally, an individual does not know what constitutes an adverse event to begin with, much less by the time they go there to report it, it's forgotten. In this case, you can't lose track of that. So it's valuable data that's not lost, but it also creates legal protections on top of that. Well, t tell me about the platform itself. I, how does Claim It work? Well, it, it works like as you would perform any study, except a lot of the elements that someone would have to do um, with somebody live, a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, is replaced with mobile. So here, for example, with the informed consent process, it becomes EEC informed consent, or EIC, as we call it. So you have the same type of elements where somebody goes through everything that they need to to learn about the study, but you can do something a little different here. And again, this is where mobile becomes a differentiator. With most people, uh, if you're doing something online and you have this type of consent aspect that you have to read, um, typically uh, a user license agreement is what most people experience, where you have this license agreement and you scroll to get all the way to the bottom and you click OK. In this case here, we can insert quizzes at certain points. They can be short little type quizzes to test them on the information that they just read, to actually make sure that they read the information as opposed to scrolling all the way down and clicking OK. So you can take them to uh, an interactive type of video if you want as part of that process. And each of these things are recorded as data. So you actually show that the person read it, that they have an understanding, they took quizzes to further uh, emphasize that, and so you have a stronger informed consent as opposed to somebody hearing it once, perhaps tuning them out, they're thinking about feeding their dog and whatever 20 errands they need to run until uh, they get to the point where a person says, do you understand any questions? No, I understand everything. You have no proof. Here, it's hard not to show the proof. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And what kind of data can be collected through claimant? Pretty much anything. Uh, anything that can be collected in a digital format. So you can have, during the study, target-pushed content. So, for example, with the data points you might collect, you can utilize our rules-based engine running in the background where that data will hit or ping a certain rule. Uh, essentially, if this, then that. And so if you have a certain data point that 
paves a rule that says push content now, then you'd have content pushed immediately to that individual, whether that's a healthcare provider or a study subject or a care provider who is helping the person through the study. So here, instead of the data being flat and static, it becomes dynamic. But you're not taking Other types like of blood, blood or urine from a patient using the same device. Well, you can do the same thing. So here, an individual normally would have to go to a site to have, say, the blood draw, as a, an example, as you gave, or do the biometrics. In certain cases, it's not very convenient. So, for example, we have a lot of studies where the uh, subject is an infant. So a lot of infant studies, um, the very elderly, the non-ambulatory, um, and the very sick, they can't readily at the drop of a hat, go to a study site. It's just not convenient. In this case, you can have an HCP come to the home, and they can use one of our platforms called a field CRF, which allows them to record all of the clinical data digitally. So you could do the blood draw. You could do certain types of anthropometric measurements, um, as well as other measurements depending on portable devices that can be utilized in the field. And does... Does the digital platform exist separately from the CRO offerings, or are they only part of an integrated offering that, that Obvio provides? It's a, it's a great question. So our platform can be fully modularized. So if a sponsor says, well, we're working with a CRO, but we'd like to use your what's called ePro or eCOA, or we'd like to use your recruitment engine to, to do X, Y, or Z, in this case, recruit. So in this case, we can shut parts off on it. We can turn them on and off like light switches. And we become synergistic to that brick-and-mortar CRO or hospital system or community clinic or doctor's office. So it becomes an expansion, not necessarily doing away with it, but it's synergistic too. That being said, could we be 100% sightless? Yes. That's, that's how the, the product is built and what it enables. And it, so it, you have choices. Yeah. Is the claimant platform being used to input data, or is it actually monitoring the patient and collecting data on its own? Uh, well, you, you input data depending on who's using it. So if it's, say, a PI, an investigator, looking at the data, they have different permissions and abilities to go in. If it's an HCP, again, different permissions. They can input data. Like in a field CRF, they're inputting data. Here, if I'm the study subject, I'm inputting data directly myself. Right, but the direct data itself, is, be, it collecting, is it monitoring the patient anyway? Is it collecting anything like activity or sleep or blood pressure, things like that? Um, the, that data would be input. So in the platform, the system architecture that we built here, it cost more, it took a little more time, but we built a system architecture that allows all vendors and partnerships and third-party providers of devices and other types of platforms that are digital to plug into our system. Our system architecture is both device 
and application agnostic. So this allows you to take data, for example, like from a, a, a wrist-worn accelerometer, like say a Fitbit, and, and I can have that exercise or sleep data go directly into the platform and recorded and made available to an investigator to view, if need be. One of the challenges with clinical trials, and I'm thinking, thinking in terms of clinical trials that use multiple trial sites, is consistency of data and the, the way data is measured and, and gathered. Is that a, a concern when you start having a, a, a trial where there are as many sites technically as there are patients in the study? Uh, it's, it's a really powerful question you're asking. Um, you can create consistency and uniformity of data depending on how you set up the study. So the, the questions that are pushed, what, what you're going to see in terms of, of differences are the nuances uh, depending on a multi-site study. Now, when I hear that, understand it could be multi-site within um, a certain city or region. Or it could be multi-site, meaning multi-country. So now I, I can see, for example, the, the data and how that differentiates, uh, say, from people in Brazil versus those in uh, uh, the UK. Um, so you, you have different nuances there. And depending on how you set that up, you might want to have those nuances. So we, it's important to understand, serve different channels, different markets. Uh, it's not just big pharma, it's also CPG and F FMCG. Um, so it, it could be a, a consumer product, per se. And you might want to run a study in five different countries uh, to see how people respond to your product. Now, all of that data is predicated upon how you set up the study and what kind of questions you're asking individuals. When you have free-form text, that's where the data can vastly be different. It's much more complex technologically to do that. Um, but again, that's where you will get huge differences in the types of data you're collecting. If you're collecting data, let's say, through virtual reality, where we created the technology where we can track your eye movements in VR. And so we can see how you're engaging with a medical device. Again, that's a different type of data for every person looking at that device or packaging, if you will, compared to if I'm pushing to them a quality, quality of life questionnaire or a quiz, something to that effect. Does that make sense? Yeah. There, there are a number of challenges I think of with clinical trials, and I'm wondering if you can just walk through a few of those and see how claimant either addresses them or solves that problem. Um, the, the first that comes to mind is, is the issue of recruitment, um, which is becoming yes. a, a bigger and bigger challenge today. H how is claimant used as a recruitment tool, and, and what makes it effective in, in your mind? Well, recruitment, depending on the study, can follow traditional paths. And as I mentioned before, we don't do away with the tried and true. We might need to recruit, for example, inside of a hospital system. So that, that's still part of it. And so that would be what we call a hybrid study, a hybrid study where it's still using the traditional brick and mortar with mobile. Now, part of the digital capability is that we can recruit digitally. So part of our system 
in terms of recruitment can utilize, for example, what's called a, a semantics analytics engine, where we can comb all of the social media airways globally. And we can seek out where people are talking about a specific disease or a specific product. And you can see at that moment in time where those pockets are globally. It almost creates like a, a targeted heat map, if you will. So your ad spending to get in front of those people becomes much more exacting and, and much more diverse and expansive. Another element that we utilize is perhaps if one wanted to recruit through the EMR inside of a hospital system. So we can recruit based on a particular therapeutic area. And we can engage with the physician directly that owns that patient relationship. That's much more targeted. For example, we have a partnership that we're putting in place that gives us access to 166 million patients this way through the EMRs. So again, that's, that's a pure digital play. When you have very difficult populations from which to recruit for, you want all of those resources at your beck and call. What about the demands that clinical trials have in, in terms of retaining patients in a study? How does climate help retain patients in a clinical trial? Well, one way is we're able to see the data. Okay, there's certain types of data that we can see. And individuals that have access to that data, they have a separate data dashboard they can actually tell when an individual is heading towards, say, a protocol deviation or whether that individual is at a high risk for uh, drop-off. One element that we are building into our system, which will be available later this year in its V1 format, is that we are working with a team of clinical psychologists to enable behavioral recruitment. Besides the normal methods of recruitment, we're adding a behavioral engine that almost functions like a Prochaska type of modeling, if you're familiar with that, a readiness and willingness to change. Here, we're designing a predictive analytics engine, and that's, that's technically what it's called. And the predictive analytics engine can tell us psychologically if this person is at a high risk for drop-off as well as protocol deviation. And so if we recruit using that predictive analytics engine, we can tell whether this person is a good candidate or, or a, a potential subject study uh, participant. I think of another issue being compliance. Is there ways that claimant helps keep patients in compliance with a study? Depending on the study, once again, we can send push notifications. So if an individual was due a particular deliverable in the calendaring feature that's running in the background, it might say you, you need to take medication X at this time and record it. We can record them taking the medication if desired. Or you need to perform this task. And again, that gets recorded. The system has a clock on it. If you don't do it within a certain period of time, then a push notification can be sent to the individual. You need to do, again, task X. So, again, it allows us... I'm sorry? No, finish, please. I'm sorry. It allows us to get in front of that, essentially. 
Obviously, uh, one pressure point that sponsors are feeling are the growing cost of clinical trials. What's the impact of cost this system has? I, I hate to sound like a broken record each time, but it's study dependent. So there are certain studies where it's extremely costly. Uh, an individual might cost 3000 5000 in some cases more to recruit. If the person drops off, that, that's a huge, uh, that can add up quite, quite fast as a, as a huge expense. So you have different elements here. If you're doing away with the brick and mortar, that's a big cost expenditure. Depending on the study, the cost savings can run anywhere from 20 to 50% or more. And again, I, I'm, I'm quoting large numbers there. If you look at, say, a typical investigational drug, um, and that from start to finish can cost, on average, about $1.2 billion, and typically that can run 12 years at a minimum, um, you're, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that could potentially be saved. Now, we do not have data yet that we can publish to show that, but uh, probably by the end of 2019, we'll have lots of data uh, from which to, to show exactly the, the cost savings. How does the FDA view the use of digital health technologies in clinical trials? Has claimant had to go through any review? Does this provide any additional regulatory barriers for uh, a sponsor conducting a study? Uh, it does, and, and you need to be fluid with that. Um, but the FDA so far, for the organization that it's known, which is to be stodgy uh, from most people's perspectives, has really been quite um, uh, adopting rather a process rather quickly and, and getting on board and enabling. Um, for example, the FDA's view and spin on what's called adaptive design, where normally in a study you can see the data from the data that a study is, is heading towards failure. The particular status quo is that people wait till the study finishes, and, and that's it. It's money lost and start again. Wash, rinse, repeat. So in this case, as long with the FDA's version of adaptive design, as long as it's written into the study protocol and approved by the IRB, you can course correct midstream for things like dosage, increasing it or decreasing it, or your population size, expanding it or contracting it, all in the hopes of getting it back on track and not having a failed study. That's pretty powerful if you think about it. Another key element here is when you look at things uh, such as post-marketing surveillance, where you're going beyond the study and perhaps having the ability to follow somebody for their lifetime use of the IP, of the drug. That's pretty powerful to have decades worth of data to show what's going on in the real world and real world use, real world evidence of how that drug is being utilized and what's happening in the body. Within this element called post-marketing surveillance, we utilize what's called machine learning. And machine learning 
becomes very powerful when you're looking at longitudinal types of data collection. Data collection that's occurring, say, three, five, ten years out. So imagine for a second that you're following somebody that is taking a new diabetes drug. And the data can start to show early anomalies forming, perhaps related to heart disease. Imagine being able to get in front of that before it becomes full-blown, costing you billions of dollars in litigation plus people's lives, no less. This is what you can do inside of this type of system. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the challenges with clinical trials is that they often don't exist in an environment in which a patient would generally use the actual product. Uh, and I'm wondering, you talk about post-marketing studies, but you know, are you getting a, a better glimpse at what the FDA would call real-world data by using a, a digital technology and using kind of a sightless approach? And, you know, given that, is there a, a types of studies that this would be better to apply to than others? Well, there, there are places where it fits in better, um, but that's actually getting less and less in, as we develop the technology. It allows for more expansive data collection. You have a greater ability to connect with the patient or consumer anytime, night or day, multiple times throughout a day if you wish, but definitely more than what one would get in terms of data from going to a study site once a week which is typically the norm. So here you can get data daily. It's real, it's live, it's when it happens. So it becomes truly real-world evidence, real-world data. How about competition? Obvio Health is not alone in bringing digital health technology into clinical trials. What's the landscape like and what's going to distinguish Obvio Health from its competitors? Well, that's a really delicate question, and I like to be very careful on, on multiple levels. One is I don't wish to be negative towards the competition. Uh, the other is I want to be careful how I speak about us, lest I sound like I exhibit hubris. Uh, I'd, I'd rather stay humble. Um, so, so the obvious player that most people have heard about is Science 37. Um, we hear from different clients the nuances, uh, dead-on comparables. It's not like I can say, oh, show me you know, what you have and, and do a comparative. I can't. So it's, it's only what we hear. Uh, Science 37 is the closest. There are others uh, like ClinPal. And the bulk of the competition, Danny, is really perceived competition, which is actually the worst competition, uh, what the market perceives. Um, a lot of that is modularized. So they might have just one component. One might be, for example, a recruitment company, and that's all they do. Another might be ECO or an EPRO, and that's all they do. We are an end-to-end -end solution from start to finish and everything in between. So there are not a lot of players in this space at present. It's, it's going to grow, no doubt. But pharma is pushing this. And even amongst the CROs, we are engaging with many of the top CROs
to bring our platform in because pharma is asking for this. Pharma that typically, big pharma that typically moves slowly is not. And had, had we done this, say, a year prior, it would have been too early. It's almost spot on in what the industry is looking to do. It's acceptance I've never experienced before in this sector of 33 years in healthcare. Ryan Silverman, CEO of Abio Health. Ryan, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.